join me in Nehemiah chapter 3, and the purpose today of getting there is I want to share with you a message. Now, here's what you're going to hear today that we need to be organized, not paralyzed. And what Nehemiah does in this passage is he does something amazing. He starts to organize the people of God, and no doubt he had some others that helped him with this, but he starts organizing the people to work on the wall. Now, we as Christians, today we're here taking the Lord's table. In the Old Testament, God used a wall to bring a revival to the people of Israel and to reestablish Jerusalem and to bring worship back in full force at the temple. We as the body of Christ that now Christ indwells us as the new covenant people, here's what we have. We represent broken lives, don't we? Broken down lives, just like that broken down wall. And my broken down story started at 15 when God restored this heart and saved me and I made Jesus Christ Lord. Many of you have had broken down lives. And Jesus, this morning, we're here to remind you that he restored you and made you whole. There are people around you that are not whole. You see them every day. I encounter them in my neighborhood and at the stores that we go and shop and get groceries and wherever uh, at school and in the workplace and in your family, you encounter people that their lives are broken down and they're a mess. Don't forget you were once a mess too. You might even be a mess sitting here today. You need to remember that we all needed Jesus to fix us to rebuild our lives, like rebuilding these walls. Now, I want to take a really short tour on this because today it's all about the, the cross and Christ. But I do want to talk about what they did in Nehemiah's day that to build the walls, they got organized. They really did. And you can see this activity, and man, there are so many wonderful things. But here's the first principle that jumps off the page about what they did. They said all that are willing to share a common goal to fix that which is broken. In this case, it was the wall all around Jerusalem, the gates, and all the hinges and everything that was there involved, the finishing touches. They all were welcome if they would share the common goal to fix what was broken. What was broken down was the wall. Now, in this particular scripture passage, it's interesting that somebody like Larry Crabb wrote about this in one of his books and he said this, the safest place on earth, he writes, is a central task of a community when it creates a place that is safe enough for each, to, each of us to reveal our brokenness. Have you experienced that? That there's people that you have in your walk with Christ in your church, especially maybe in a small group or in a ministry group that you're extremely close to, uh, and you just, in that setting, you're able to share your brokenness and what you're still working on in your walk with Christ. We have the powerful Holy Spirit living in us, but he must dictate to us how to live the Christian life. Amen? He really should, and he does when we allow him to do that. I want you to see something in the passage, and I'm going to do some running commentary stuff because it's just so long. But watch the phrases next to him, next to them, after him, and then the phrase after them. You'll find that 
in just this single chapter 28 times. You've got people working together, and we need to work together. It's a message that hasn't changed all these years later. We've got to work and serve together, amen? I'm, I'm so much effective, and so are you, when we serve Christ in a combined fashion. And listen, they weren't looking for people with great skills. There weren't great construction people here, far as we know. We've got little tidbits that there might have been people with some knowledge, but there's not much of that there. What's there is common people that joined together and they were willing in a common cause to fix what was broken. God's called the church to continue that work. We're about doing what Jesus gives us the ability. We can't fix anybody, can we? I don't have any ability to fix anybody. I can counsel someone. I can help them, but I can't fix them. But Jesus can fix people, can he, church? Jesus really can fix folks. He can change that which is broken to being unbroken and back to wholeness. The Lord, he doesn't use a bunch, a thousand masons and carpenters here to rebuild the wall. He just uses ordinary people from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of trades. They're identified. Many of them are identified in the text and the localities. In fact, there was one, not only are rulers and priests even involved, but there was one group of people that they lived about 10 or 15 miles outside of Jerusalem, and they came and worked on the wall. So all that were willing to do that. Also on this passage, you'll see the word section some 13 times. Now, it's really interesting about that because there's all these sections to the wall and to the gates, And uh, when they record these things, it's interesting that they're basically showing you kind of a map around the city of Jerusalem. And this was a massive wall. It went around the entire major part of the city. You know, some of you will remember the story Roots. You watched that as a miniseries. You remember the days when miniseries were big deals? Well, Alex Haley wrote that book. And then they made it into a miniseries, and he's written several other great books. But one of the things he said, he said, you know, if I ever get where I'm feeling uh, pretty good about myself and some work that I do, I always just look at a picture, a painting that he keeps in his office on the wall. And what it is, is it's a turtle in full shell up on top of a post a fence post. So it's an odd-looking picture. I've seen, I've seen pictures of it. Haven't been to his office. I don't guess any of you have as well. But uh, anyway, he uh, has something. He says when people, they always, when they come to his office, if they don't already know the story, they ask about that picture. And they'll say, why, why is that there? It's odd to see a turtle on top of a fence post, isn't it? And he'll answer like this. He says, every time I write something significant, every time I read my words and think, wow, that's pretty good, that's wonderful, and begin to feel proud of myself, I look at the turtle on top of the fence post, and I remember that that he didn't get there on his own. He had some help. And I don't care who you are how smart you are, how experienced, how educated you are, wherever you get to in life, you got there with some help. 
This is a part where you can amen right there, right there, right there. You got some help. You really did. You got some help. Some of us, like me, got a lot of help. I'm just confessing it to you. I know I needed lots of help. My family tells me sometimes now, you still need help. And uh, they're probably right. Now, here's something else that happens on the wall. In the rebuilding of the wall, they focused on the most critical areas first. Watch this. And you're going to see what they felt felt were most critical. You'll see this in chapter 3, verse 1, verse 3, verse 6, verse 13, verse 14, verse 15, and then all the way down to verse 28. Nehemiah focuses the people on three categories of work. The first is he highlights the gates first. Isn't that something? Instead of the wall being the first priority, the gates are. Hmm. When you read the text, you find that that's true. I'm going to tell you why in just a second. The wall was the second priority, and then the finishing touches were last. I don't know if you've ever been involved in a ministry project and it kind of went like this. You had people that are on the team, and maybe it was you. Maybe sometime it was me. And you started to want to work on finishing projects, finishing touches that were just not what we needed to do. Last year when I came, I emphasized almost for the entire year the subject of prayer. Kept going back to it, kept going back to it. We built uh, or, or transformed the old prayer room back into a prayer room. And I know, I know, I know as a pastor and being in ministry for 40 years, I know, I know how dependent the church is for the work of God to really flourish. I know we need to seek God's face in all that we do. And that's why that was such a priority to your pastor, and I tried very hard to make that a priority for the entire church. He highlights the gates first, the wall second, and then finishing touches. Now, why the gates? And people, uh, people would come and go through those gates all the time, wouldn't they? How many of you have been involved in any of the Dave Ramsey studies? You know, he's been such a gift to, to people all over the world on the subject of debt. Now, that, that uh, greatest generation came along, and they, went, they had little touches with uh, the Great Depression or stories from it, and they didn't have credit accessible to them like the boomers and those that have come after the boomers. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of the tail end of the boomers. And uh, anyway, debt became something very available, and many, many people took full advantage of it to their own financial captivity. In his book and in his teachings, you'll remember that he tells you that you need to get some victories under your belt. First, you stop your spending beyond a budget. You stick to your budget. If the budget breaks that month, you get back on it the next month, and then you get back on it the next month. And he says, tackle small projects first. Now, the gate is interesting that they chose that as a focus. Why? All the people were going to go in and out of those gates. They weren't going to walk over the wall. And many of them lived in different sections. It's interesting that those were tackled as priority ones. And why? Because all the people were going to filter in and out through the section that they were part of. And this was their community. This is how they entered the city. And this is how they exited. 
But that's what they chose to make a priority. Now, Ramsey says that if you've got debt, and let's say you've got a $75 debt a month and you've got a $50 debt and you've got a 25 he tells you to tackle that smallest debt first and to pay that off. So after you get the budgeting thing down and you quit the uh, elaborate spending above what you have, it was only a few years ago we found out that the average American was spending 110% of their income annually. Well, where's that going to take you? That's, that's a 10% debt hole a year, isn't it? Just continuing to pile up. Listen to this. He would say take that $25 and get that debt paid off first. Get that done. You got a small victory. You can tuck that away in your financial freedom package. You're starting to experience a little bit of financial freedom. Now you can take that $25 and put it against that $50 debt that you have each month, and now you're putting $75 towards that debt. And so you see how that kind of does that. In this passage, if you go back to chapter 3, verse 1, you'll see that uh, Elishabib, who was the priest, and we know that he was priest at um, 445 B.C., and this is the 20th year of King Xerxes' reign, and we know he was the, the, the high priest then and for some time, but he has the people do something. This isn't Nehemiah, this is the high priest. And what he does is, when they get the gate fixed, if you will, go to chapter 3, verse 1, he says, when Elisha, Elisha uh, the high priest, rose up with his brothers and the priest, and they built the sheep gate, they consecrated it and set its doors. And then notice the phrase again. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundreds and as far as the tower of Haniel. Now, why is that a big deal? Because it's a little victory, right? It's the sheep gate, people. The sheep gate. As in, bah. It's the sheep gate. And here's what's being done. They're celebrating and concentrating, consecrating a small victory. You follow me? And we need to mark those in the church. You know, when you get in a spirit of negativity, man, you're in a bad place. I tell the staff all the time, you've got to be positive. Deal with the negative, work on it, but be positive. If you're not positive and you're not upbeat and you don't believe in the vision of the church the people sure aren't going to. We've got to be positive leaders. Now, we still deal, deal with negativity, don't we? But here's how negativity can affect you. Listen, if everything and nothing is ever all negative, but you hear people get in that mode, don't you? This is, wrong. This is all wrong. And I'm like, no, not every, no, that's not even true. The, the worst among us, there's still some things that are right, right? They don't do everything wrong, but here's the thing. Look at this passage. He says that they celebrated this. Now, here's another principle, and I shared this very quickly. We, we, we're going to get to the Lord's table very fast here. They observed this principle as well. Instead of just getting professional folks to come in and do this, and they did the work, and then they left, it's the people of God taking up this, this burden and where your greatest burden and where you live, that's a good place to start, isn't it? In this passage, you'll see that Nehemiah 
had most of the people work on the wall right beside their house. In fact, if you go to, uh, I'll take you to a little short part of a passage. Uh, let me take you down to verse 23. Like I said, I'm doing a running commentary. You got Benjamin and Hiahub. Isn't that something? Hiahub. There's some incredible names in this passage. If you are to look for a name to name your children, there's many in this, this chapter. Benjamin and Hiahub. Hiahub. made repairs in front of their house. Azariah made repairs beside his house. Look at this. The priest, further down, made repairs each in front of his own house. Meshkakam, Meshkakam made repairs opposite of his living quarters. You hear that? Right where they lived, that's where they started doing repair work. Now, here's something about that. They may have not had the best building skills, but if it's your backyard or your front yard, you want it to look good, don't you? You want it to be secure. You want that to be the best part of the wall. Why? Because it's by your place. If the city gets invaded, you don't want it to be your, your yard, right? This is what they were doing. They were like, he used this great wisdom to say, you build right where you live. And you build right where you live. And you build right where you live. Hey, priest, you go over there. You know where you've got your quarters? You repair right there. Do you think they got serious about this? This is their backyard. This is their front yard. And where you have already established interest, you're going to put your all in that, aren't you? It's such an incredible way of wisdom to have them work on this. Now, we're still talking about broken walls, not broken lives, but this leads to revival and lives being restored in worshiping Almighty God. In fact, there's some really interesting things. I just don't have time to hit them all today and give time to the Lord's Supper like we should. But you'll see that uh, in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse, verse 12, it tells us um, about Shalom, that... Uh, he uh, was the ruler of this district of, of Jerusalem and that he repaired this section of the wall where he lived with his daughters. Ladies, you can amen that or a woman that, all right? But that is there. There's some other things that are just very interesting in that passage. You'll see back up in verse 5, it says that there's a section that was repaired by the men of Tekoa. Now, Tekoa has some rich history in the scriptures with some other prophets, but the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. I'm in verse 3. It says, but their nobles would not put their shoulder to the work under those supervisors. So even in this great time of revival, there were people that just, I'm not working for you. I'm not going to work with you. Human nature brings that, doesn't it? We've got to keep our eyes on the project and on the prize. Amen? It's not about people. It's about the kingdom. And it's so important that we remember that and don't get focused on people. That will lead you astray every single time. So I, I share all that to share this. I'll just come down. And it's so interesting to read like a book like Leading Change by John 
Cotter who, who talks about people working where they are, just like we hear in this principle. Rebuild where you live and you have the greatest burden, and I shared that with you, but let me just wrap it up with this. Everybody in here that knows Jesus Christ, you're a Christ follower. Jesus came along at some time in your life, and he straightened up your broken down life, just like the wall around Jerusalem. He came by, and he started building you back to the way you're meant to be built. He put his spirit in you. Now, after we've been given that, we have this ministry of reconciliation where we're here now to love people and to witness to people for Christ to help them rebuild their lives. Now, I, already, I don't even have to ask you this. Do you know anybody that their life is broken down? They're everywhere. We have many in the church. That's not a confessional. They're in every church. We have many in our communities, our families, our neighborhoods, at school. Their lives are broken down. Listen to the scriptures. Luke chapter 4, Jesus quotes an Old Testament passage, and he says, this is why I came. Listen. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. He has set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I end with this verse today because it's precious to me. Peter was this loud, sometimes obnoxious leader. And his mouth was often in gear before his brain was. And some of us can relate to that. I was much worse when I was younger, I promise you. Listen, in this passage, after God has given him his spirit and he sustained him and he's shown him how to be steady, he gives us this word by inspiration of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might not die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you will be healed. By his wounds, you will be healed. If you're in here and you're healed, you should give testimony to the Lord to somebody today. Communion is all about a testimony. His and yours. That you're walking with him like you should. That you're giving yourself back to him because he gave his all for you. And today we go from broken down walls in the book of Nehemiah and all the organization in chapter 3, and boy, oh boy, I could, I could preach three messages on this chapter, maybe, maybe five. There's so much there. But just to touch on it today and to remind you that we're about in the church building broken lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ, discipling people after they profess him, loving on people, showing them what it means to follow Christ. Today we come to the Lord's table, and we should focus on one thing and one thing only. The Lord said that when you observe my table, remember me.